0: Last night, Lori shared with me, just from Facebook, on her phone, a friend of hers who had sent a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. And I thought, man, I think that makes sense to us for tomorrow. So here it is. Elizabeth Elliot said, Sometimes life is so hard, you can only do the next thing. Whatever that is, just do the next thing. God will meet you there. Ah, that that was so insightful from a a, a woman who certainly lived in sweet fellowship with the Lord and was a godly example to everyone who knew her. God will meet you there. What struck me about that is as we are here today and we're considering now this week of Holy Week, we actually, our, our place in the scripture shows us that We're at a spot where Jesus was at a a place like that. So difficult. And he was just going to commit to do the next thing. In John 12, 27, he said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus was in a difficult place. But he was prepared to do the next thing he raised the question should i back out of this should i say lord you know don't make me do this he said no this is why i'm here and he was now from palm sunday on the rest of that week stepping towards that next thing which he knows is inevitable is laid out for him by the father so what we want to do is come back to john chapter 12 we're going to look at john's Description of the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, as the kids so wonderfully shared with us. We're going to look at John's account of that and learn some things that are necessary for our lives. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. And here's what we read. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were raised, who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to the worship at the feast. When they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of, of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wished we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Now, first thing want us to consider as far as John's account of that day is that we discover His person, the person of Jesus Christ. There is so much that are in these verses. We discover His person. First, His person was revealed by the crowd. In verse 13, when they cried out, "'Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of the Israel.'" They were declaring the truth about who Jesus Christ is that he was indeed the awaited king. That he was indeed. Last week we looked at, we looked at uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 26, 27, right in that range. And uh, it's Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. And they were declaring that indeed on that day he was fulfilling that prophecy that he was arriving as the end of the 69th week. He was indeed the one they were declaring. And it was evident to them, and it was evident uh, to those who were gathered in excitement that He is what we're waiting for. That's first. He was revealed by the crowd. First aspect that we discover of His person. Second aspect, His person was revealed by the cult. You remember, we all know this. Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And that is a direct reference to the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Now, why does it matter that he's on a colt of a donkey? Revealing something about his person. There's something to be discovered there. You see, When kings wanted to impress people with their power, perhaps after a military victory, when they wanted to really display that they are somebody to be feared, somebody to be respected, someone uh, to be gotten out of the way of. You don't hold up their procession. When kings wanted to do that, they came on a mighty steed. A horse. That will happen. Go read Revelation 19, you'll know Jesus will return on a white horse. That's going to happen, but right here, that's not how he presents himself on this day. And what do we discover? What we discover is he comes in the way in which kings would present themselves when rulers wanted to present themselves as peaceful, as coming in kindness, as somebody not to be afraid. They would ride on a young donkey. And so here he is coming as the one not presenting himself. They're they're hoping he's going to be right now the king that pushes off Rome. That's what they're clamoring for. But he is helping them to discover that he has come in peace. That he has come not, not to bring a violent end to the Roman rule, but to accomplish something else. He's coming as a servant, lowly, but what Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2. Set aside his glory and took on the form of a servant. So we see that revealed by the colt. Another aspect that we discover about his person in this particular passage is that, that which is revealed by the sign. Now, we read in verse 18... For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. What's the sign? He had raised Lazarus from death. Now that word was getting around. That word was helping stir this crowd. Why is that significant? Well, as John's writing, we need to grasp that John's book is structured around seven signs. The first one, you're all familiar with it, the first one that John lists I'm not saying it's the first thing Jesus ever did. The first sign that John lists of the seven is the wedding at Cana of Galilee. The wedding where he changes the water into wine and begins to make himself known that he indeed is the long-awaited one. He's able to bring this miracle. John lists seven miracles, and the last that Jesus lists is the raising of Lazarus, which is effectively bringing this crowd on this day when He is presenting Himself in fulfillment of Zechariah 9, Daniel 9. And as He he names this sign, we are reminded, this is how He's building His book. His entire gospel is written around these seven signs. And then at the end, when we get to John chapter 20, verse 30, he says, these. Are, he said many other signs Jesus did. They could fill books, all these other signs. These are written that you might believe that he is the Christ and that believing you might have eternal life. So this sign is so significant that, that John names it that way. That by understanding what it reveals, that He is the one who is able to come and to give life back from death. He has that power. And there is power in believing upon Him and His redemptive work that we too can be brought from death unto life. We discover His person as revealed by the sign. And lastly, we discover His person as revealed by the Greeks. There's this interesting little thing here that after the Pharisees in verse 19 said, you see, the world is going out after him. You're not doing anything because they got to shut this down. That's their goal, right? Shut it down. This guy's creating too much of a stir. We can't have that. After John notes that comment, he then says in verse 20, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Now, every time I read that, I find myself, where's that going? It just kind of sits there. And the response, that which we will start with after, after we're done discovering his person, you're not even sure that the, re, the next thing Jesus says is in response to them. And if it is, he takes it in an entirely different direction. So why does John tell us that here at this crowd... Well, some Greeks wanted to see him, so they got word into his, among his close disciples, and then they came and told Jesus, and end of story. I'd like to see what, where that went, and it doesn't go anywhere. It's right there. What's the point, John? What is the point? I think the point... If we God again we got to understand John is writing in the context of his entire gospel. I think the point that he is making we see it in John 3:16 which we all know for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see this, this person had come not only for the Jews but he had come for the world. And he was going to fulfill that promise. Came to us through the Jews when the promise was given to Abraham when he was told, in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. How in the world can all the nations be blessed because of Abraham? Because he is going to have that seed. Eventually, the Messiah, the promised Messiah is going to come as a descendant of his And then he is going to accomplish something that is going to bless the entire world. What is he going to do? He's going to die on a cross. And he's going to offer his life in payment for the sins of the whole world. That's what I believe John is bringing when he says, Oh, there were some Greeks who were there. He's reminding us that this gospel message, it wasn't tied just to this very Jewish event that is happening here as they're moving towards Passover, he's reminding us, don't forget this story all along has included a promise that people from every kindred nation and tongue would be blessed in this one. And he's reminding us of that. He's helping us discover the person of Jesus Christ as one who has come for all people. So, in those verses, we discover his person. But then as we move on, we also will see that we discover his purpose in the continuing verses. So I want to pick it up in verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, this is what I'm saying, is this the response when they said the Greeks are, these Greeks are looking for you? Or is this just another conversation that he had as he seems to speak out to a crowd almost? Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Oh, we have all sorts of understanding as to the, the purpose of this one. We discover his purpose. First, to produce fruit. He describes a grain of wheat that falls into the ground, and then it springs to life, and it, it, it reproduces much grain. Now, he said that for his disciples. His desire was that they produced much fruit. And that is his first purpose; is he's going to bear fruit by what he does. But he understands what he does entails. Like a grain of wheat has to fall to the ground, it entails that for him, because his purpose to produce fruit is done by dying. Dropping down to verse twenty-seven, which is where we we said he came to that difficult place. My my soul is troubled. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour, this Our Father, glorify your name. And that voice came from heaven saying, I've both glorified it and will glorify it again. People who stood by heard it, said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him, but he came to this place. And he knew before the week is done, before this week is over, this the, the crowds that proclaimed him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, will become a different crowd. A different crowd that shouts, Crucify him! Crucify him! And he contemplates that. And knows that is not going to be pretty. It is not going to be easy. And he wrestles with the question, Am I going to back out? But no, Lord. This is why I am here. To produce fruit by dying. But there's more to be understood. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. His purpose was to produce fruit by dying on a cross, a most horrific, excruciating, painful form of capital punishment that the Romans had designed. So excruciating, so horrific that Roman citizens could not be crucified. That was only held for those who were not Roman of Roman citizenship, in the places where they, uh, where they had uh, their kingdom had stretched to, but they didn't crucify each other. And the medical community describes for us that uh, not only is it painful, you can, you can read about all the things that happen to the body as they have figured as someone hangs on the cross and they can't get air and they have to push on, those, on that bottom peg in their feet to get up just to get air into their lungs. And they get feverish, and all sorts of horrific things that happen. It's it's beyond our comprehension to understand. And he predicts it for himself: if I am lifted up from the earth and be hung on that cross. He knew that was coming. So we discover his purpose to produce fruit by dying on a cross for the world again this is where the greeks gave us the hints of this if i am lifted up from the earth i will draw all peoples to myself once again we're reminded that this message of the entire bible that in genesis three fifteen, when when adam and eve first first aided the fruit of the knowledge of, of good and evil and sin entered the human race god promised the one who would come would come and be the answer to the problem of sin and the curse that is, that is there. That this message, as we've already pointed out, through Abraham was going to be this hope for the whole world. It came through the lineage of Abraham as a people, but it was for the entire world. Can I, will you allow me to, I hope you'll find it at least interesting, if not encouraging, because this thing that we have been preparing for, called one body, one blood, the point is to gather the believers from around the world now that there's this wonders of the internet and the technology that is so available. That's our point, to recognize that God's work is literally around the world. And what are the things that I am enjoying, and when I say every day, I mean Every day on my phone, uh, I get notifications as to some if somebody made a comment on Facebook and every day I am getting notifications that so-and-so has made a comment. The last one that I noticed clearly was from India or Pakistan, somewhere in that part of the world, just by the name that is there. There are times when it's clear that they have come from Africa by the name, clearly from Slavic Europe by the name that they are coming onto Facebook, clearly from South America or Spain or Central America by the name that is there. It is so wonderful to see this, that people truly are coming on board from around the world. And Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, it was for the world. He said, I will draw all peoples to myself. And we're going to celebrate that with them. We're going to have that moment with them. And then, we can't leave out the fact that he did all this and to defeat Satan. Now is the judgment of this world. Verse 31 Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Remember back in the garden. He was going to do battle. The seed of the woman, that's Jesus. The one they're hailing on Palm Sunday. The seed of the woman would be in conflict with Satan himself. And God said, You will strike his heel, but he will strike your head. And he will bring a fatal blow. And here, that, that confrontation is now coming into play. And Jesus' heel is going to be struck by this producing fruit, by dying on a cross for the world. The reality is, oh, but he's going to defeat, defeat Satan through it. Because when it looks like Satan dealt a fatal blow, we're going to celebrate that one week from today that the evil one did all that he could to destroy Christ and the influence he was having and his redemptive work that was to take place around the world. He did all that he could and lost. And the first part of that prophecy from Genesis 3.15 is now fulfilled. You're only going to be able to bruise his heel. You are not going to be able to bring a fatal blow. And God's redemptive work continues. Magnificent. Magnificent and friends, in the process of discovering his person and his purpose, what we 've looked at revealed on that day here 's what we here 's what we learn. we discover his pattern that he has given for us verse twenty four backing it all the way back up or a ways, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much fruit grain. He who loves his life will lose it and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. This is a reality of the Christian life that we all struggle with because it's not natural to us, but it is the reality of of a foundational truth to understand how we're to live as Christians. It's called dying to self. Dying to self. If we are bound and determined that I'm going to be number one, I'm going to be first, this is all about me, he said, and you try and keep your life like that, you're going to lose it. But you need to understand is you gain your life by, by losing it, by dying to yourself, by learning how to live for others, and by following Him. Dying to self is his pattern. Following him. Follow Christ. And then, in that, waiting on God. And he said that the Father will honor those who do this. The Father will honor them. Hmm. Kind of sounds like what Elizabeth Elliot said. Just do the next thing. Die to self. Follow Christ the Lord will meet you there. God's going to reveal Himself. Friends, this week we're going to celebrate this one who gave us this pattern. Good Friday, Christ died. He was buried. Easter Sunday, as you know, He was raised from the dead. And He's been bearing fruit ever since as His gospel has gone out. I'm hoping in the course of this week that we, are not, that we are not simply thinking, oh, there's this event at 8 a.m. Got to be at an event at 8 a.m. Either from my home or right here at the church with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm hoping we're going to take some time to contemplate these truths throughout the week. That it's more than an event that we're going to celebrate now. It's all about Jesus Christ. Who in real space, real time, a real promised Savior hung on a cross, real people around the world could be redeemed. And that we take some time to consider those things. And then to consider, Lord, where are those places in my life where I'm not willing to follow you? I'm not willing to give them up. I'm not willing to turn them over to you. And Lord, work in my life in those areas because. I want to be at that place where I can trust you and, and trust God. As the scripture says, in due time, he will lift you up. Trust God to do the fruit-bearing, uh, redeeming work in me and that my life will be what it's supposed to be. So in order to prepare for that, in order to consider the Good Friday death, the Easter resurrection, uh, we're going, I'm going to share with you this morning, the, uh, the theme song that is part of "One Body, One Blood" that you will you will see on uh, on Good Friday, and I um, just want you to just want you to see that. Hopefully, it will help set your heart in a place where you are ready to receive all that God has for us this coming Friday, this coming week. i oh.
1: crimson love, our precious love. broken for you the Savior's love sweet jesus Cause there is one body
0: Father, we are not even capable to grasp the mystery, the magnificence, the wonder of what took place when that week unfolded in Jerusalem. Christ's arrival as prophesied by Daniel, but then it ended in his crucifixion also prophesied in his resurrection. Oh, Father, how we, how we need a deeper understanding of that. And we we'll pray that during the course of this week, each day, Father, you would impress upon us what it is we are thinking about this week. Help us to enter into its mystery in ever greater ways, Lord, that we might love you more that we might be more committed to following Christ, to allowing you to honor us rather than worrying about we've got to go about this world of making ourselves look great. Father, I pray that you give us a great season of fruit bearing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.